Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. For those listening now, you're probably wondering why I'm talking English. This is our first episode in... Uh, wine of the week uh, where we speak English and the reason is because we have a special guest today. Um, we have Katie Blakely who's the international sales manager of Ridge Vineyards. So uh, thank you very much Katie for coming all the way from California. Thank you. Uh, I know you're obviously not here only for us. You're, you're doing tastings uh, in town um, but for us it's, it's uh, fantastic for you to spend a little bit of time talking about obviously Ridge Wines. Ridge Wines, yeah. Um, no, I'm, I'm really excited. Thank you both so much for having me. Um, you know, it, it's an exciting time. This is my first trip uh, back to mainland Europe since the COVID pandemic. Yep. So it's exciting to be out traveling and tasting with people and seeing you in 3D again. Yeah. Um, and, and it's really exciting for us because this is a very celebratory year. This is our 60th anniversary. Yeah. So really, this is kind of kicking off all of the excitement and the festivities for the year to come. And we've got a lot of exciting wines to talk about. So fantastic. Yeah. But I mean, uh, for, for the people who might not have that in-depth knowledge about uh, Ridge Vineyards, yeah. you're saying it's the, it's the 60th year. Yes. But the history of Ridge goes back even further, right? It does. So we have um, right now two visitation properties, two production facilities, Lytton Springs and Montebello. And mm -hmm. these represents two of the three of states of Ridge. So we've got Montebello, which is where everything began. And then we have Lytton Springs and Geyserville. Okay. So when you look at the history of these three vineyard sites, it spans all the way back to the late 1800s. So let's begin with Montebello because that's where our company began 60 yeah. years ago. It's probably the most famous one too, right? It, it definitely is. Yeah. yeah. And, um, you know, it, it's the pilgrimage, if you will. Yeah. Um, and, and we can talk about really why that is the, the topography of the vineyard site because it is a mountain vineyard in every sense of the word, uh, perhaps once we get closer to the estate cab. Um, but, you know, so the Montebello Vineyard is in the Santa Cruz Mountains, which is a very um, unique AVA within California mm -hmm. because it really sits on its own. It's not part of Sonoma or Napa, which is, of course, more known worldwide. Um, and it's not part of the Central Coast. It, it encapsulates three counties that are start about 45 minutes south of San Francisco. So you've got mostly Santa Cruz County, Santa Clara County, and a touch of San Mateo County. Um, now, while this might not be the first wine region people think of when they think of California, it's one of the most historically rich and robust uh, regions. So let's take Montebello, for example. Um, our mountain vineyard was actually a very uh, diverse wine growing area back in the late 1800s. So we began with a gentleman named Osea Peroni. He was a very influential doctor in the Italian community in San Francisco back in the late 1800s. And he made the trek all the way down from the city center to our mountain vineyard up the windy road. And for those of your listeners who have visited Montebello, they know how difficult that is to do currently in a car. Yeah. To do it by horse and carriage is borderline bananas. Why was he doing like to look for a vineyard? Or Yeah, to, yeah. for a vineyard site. Um, and he planted, um, 
Cabernet Sauvignon at the very top of the mountain. And, and that's where our production began. And if you come and visit or even look at our website, we've got some really fantastic uh, uh, photographs of him and his family um, in full gear at harvest time. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and he sold wine, brought it back down to San Francisco to have it bottled and, and transported back to the East Coast. And he was followed very shortly by a gentleman named John Torre, uh, who was a Nevada cattle rancher, but also Italian in, in heritage. And he came and settled the, the vineyard site right below Osea and worked basically subsequently alongside him on the mountain. And then we had uh, Pierre Klein, who was an Alsatian who, who settled the very bottom of the mountain. And his goal was to create an award-winning claret from California. Mm-hmm. Um, and he actually would arguably have the most success of the three families. He was more internationally well-known. Now, unfortunately... Uh, our, our country then went on to make one of our biggest mistakes, prohibition. Mm-hmm. Um, and these families unfortunately lost the vineyard sites and they stood for all intents and purposes abandoned. But were these uh, families kind of independent winemakers or were they collaborating? They were not collaborators, no, not yeah. to my knowledge. Yeah. Um, from everything that we understand, they were all independent of each other, although I'm sure friendly neighbors. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's not a very large mountain. Yeah. Um, and so then we fast forward to uh, 1948. A gentleman named William Short, he was a theologian, actually purchased um, what we know as the Torrey property, um, which included a barn originally uh, built by the Torreys back in the late 1800s. And he planted about 10 uh, acres of Cabernet Sauvignon. And he was there until about 1958 when he decided it was time to leave and sell the property. And that's where the Ridge founders came in. Hmm. So these three gentlemen were all standing. Stanford graduates and worked at the Stanford Research Institute in Silicon Valley. These three were not winemakers. They were scientists and had not set out with the intent of beginning a commercial winery. Uh, They purchased this property as a retirement plan. You know, uh, Montebello overlooks all of Silicon Valley. From our Mm -hmm. property, you can see the Apple campus, you know, the Google campus, Levi Stadium, all of that. And so their purpose was to take in the beautiful view, build some individual homes and retire there with the families. Uh, thankfully, one of them, Mr. Dave Benyon, uh, very inquisitive by nature and knew of the rich winemaking history at the mountain. So he took about a half barrel and made that wine in his garage using very primitive, historic, pre-industrial winemaking techniques. In mm-hmm. fact, one of them being just taking a, a wooden uh, lid, like lattice, putting it on top of uh, crushed grapes. So they submerged the skins underneath the juice so as not to dry out. Mm-hmm. Him and his wife went on vacation and came back and the wine had fermented dry on the native yeasts present in the grapes themselves. Mm-hmm. And and while that sounds, you know, very primitive, very simple, it's not too far removed from how we currently make wine today. Yeah. And yeah. and kind of how a lot of winemakers, you know, f- also almost find like a modern way of low intervention winemaking. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and so he did that and was able to convince the other two um, to create a bonded winery. And so Ridge was born in 1962. And over the next seven years, they really kind of, you know, were part-time winemakers and and trying to piece together this business. And Paul Draper then came back to the U.S. uh, from a stint in Chile in 1969. And he met with these guys. Um, There was a familiarity there. Paul's also a graduate of Stanford. And they knew of the work he was doing down in South America. And so he interviewed with these guys. And one of my favorite Paul Draper moments is a video where he says, I tasted their 62 and 64 vintages. These guys had no idea what they were doing. Mm -hmm. And the wines were pretty good. Mm -hmm. I know exactly what I'm doing. This could be the opportunity to make some of the most world-class wines. And really, in that moment, it's the emphasis and the highlight on why we focus on single vineyard expressive lots. 
Yeah. Right. I mean, that's that's the bridge way. And, and really all of the care and consideration into the cultivation of beautiful fruit and and our winemaking team, our viticulturalists, they're stewards of that land and that fruit and kind of guide that into the process of what you see here. Fantastic. Yeah. Okay, so that's the story. Basically. That's that's yeah. the story, and and then you know we've done some things since 1969. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and and celebrating our 60th anniversary, so it's very exciting. I remember the first time I tasted rich. Um, it was on a, a restaurant called Le Canard okay. in Oslo, a Michelin star restaurant. Okay, and I I got um, a 1985. Uh, vintage with with Montebello. Fantastic. And uh, it was uh, a moment. Yeah. Yeah. But more or less because I thought it was a, a Bordeaux. Oh, sure. Or something else. Of course. Um, and then um, after traveling also there and meet and taste more, it's still one of the icons uh, of uh, California wine industry. So it's uh, very good and very, very nice much. to do here. I, we love it. <laughs> now, now we have um, we have a few wines. Uh, we actually have four wines that mm. that we're going to taste mm -hmm. um, down the road uh, in this conversation. Um, but s since you're you're celebrating sixty and, yep. and your history is even longer, right? Um, the the theory of um, of uh, low intervention winemaking, pre industrial mm -hmm. winemaking, or uh, I, I heard some someone from Ridge call it just like like low tech winemaking. Sure, sure. Is that still uh, how has that changed? Uh, and is that is it the same throughout the range of wines now, or what's what's been going on in the past sixty years? Though? Sure, sure. And and that's a fair question. Um, you know, because our range is quite large. Yeah. Um, and, and I think how anybody, large how large is it? Yeah. So outside of the cellar door, you'd never really fully be able to grasp. So we make approximately thirty five wines a year. Hmm. Yeah, and and about fourteen of them go out to the U.S. wholesale market, and approximately eight to nine go out to the international market. Okay. Um, and so if you get the opportunity to come down and visit us at either Lytton Springs or Montebello, you get to see some some really geeky stuff that we do, um, which is fantastic. One of the things I love about Ridge is not only the commitment to the historical products like Lytton Springs and Geyserville and Montebello, but still, I mean, we're all wine geeks, right? So there's a fascination um, about what California has to offer. So. Most recently, we've started to produce Falangina. Um, we'll do Grenache Blanc. Um, we've done a Viognier. Uh, we've started to dip into Pinot Noir again. And yeah. um, at the base of really all of that is approximately 20 different Zinfandel expressions. Hmm. Yeah. But the, these new grapes, yeah, um, is that from existing win vineyards where you plant new grapes or are, are you buying or buying grapes or buying new vineyards? We're purchasing the fruit. Yeah. So we're working with new vineyard sites from around California, yeah. which is is really a historical ridge practice. Uh, we've been doing that since our inception. Um, and so, for example, the Falangina fruit, we're working with a vineyard site in uh, Mendocino. Yeah. Um, Grenache Blanc, we've actually teamed up with the Adelina Winery down in Paso Robles, uh, which we have a very rich history there as well. One of the longest running wines in our portfolio um, that's seen in the domestic market is a wine called the Paso Robles Sin from the Benito Ducey Ranch. Um, and so we have a great history there. David Gates, our senior VP of Vineyard Management, was a president of the Roan Rangers, which is a, a very collaborative um, group down and based in Paso. And so um, uh, Adelaida were kind enough to allow us to purchase fruit from their Viking vineyard. And that allowed us to do a Grenache Blanc, you know. White wine has never been a very large portion of our production. Mm -hmm. Of course, we've built our reputation on on beautiful reds, but they're just as important as exciting. Chardonnay has kind of been the one stalwart, and so it's been nice to add uh, a couple of friends. 
including the Grenache Blanc. Now, are any of these? Uh, I'm calling like odd grapes. They're not odd grapes, no. but no, no, they're, no. But they're they're very unusual in the sense that like we as you know maybe international market or Norway know Ridge. Like sure, we're not thinking of uh, of Pinot Noir and Viognier when we think yeah. about Ridge. Are these available in international markets at all, or is it this just? In the U.S., they are just in the U.S., but even furthermore, just at, in direct to consumer. So in our cellar door, yeah, yeah. So uh, you know, an incentive yeah. to come to California and visit us in either Santa Cruz or uh, Healdsburg. But any of them are probably are they going to be available in international? Is it just, or is it small quantities and just at the place, or yeah, where's it, where it going? Yeah, it's going mostly to our our um, wine club members. So we have a very, very, very large wine club based yeah. in the United States, yeah. uh, approximately 17,000 members. Yeah. Um, if our direct-to-consumer VP hears this, he'll probably correct me. It, it might even be larger at this yeah. point. Um, but, you know, it, these are small lots. And when we're talking about production, we're talking maybe 500 cases here, 800 cases there. It's not large enough, unfortunately, to bring out to the international market. So it's really that allows us to do that experimentation um, and, and do some exciting things. But that, again, it, it's really the estate's the the wines that have created their place in our history that come out to the international market. Yeah, yeah. Like this is maybe off topic, but uh, yeah, yeah. the the thing the thing about these wine clubs that's become a really big part of of uh, of how you sell wine in, in California, right? Huge. Like, is that how much is that growing, or because that's been part of the pandemic thing too, right? People it has. aren't aren't moving out; they're not going out to the store. Yeah, they they buy directly. Sure. So, like, how how big of your production is is wine clubs in the U.S.? Yeah, wine clubs are a massive part. I mean, they are a multi billion dollar a year business in the United States. Yeah. Um. And and Ridge is no exception. Yeah. Um. I would say approximately fifty percent of our total production is direct to consumer. Fifty. Yeah. Five zero. Yeah. And and when you say direct to consumer, that's basically wine clubs. Basically, wine clubs. Yeah. Wow. Really. Yeah. Or sales directly again through the cellar door. Huh. Yeah. That's wild, actually. It's, it's wild. Yeah. Like, I mean, we're strange here in Norway because of the wine monopoly. Sure. But that's, that's a really big, that's a really big deal. So for, for consumers, you know, we have a lot of visitation. Um, you know, visiting and, and immersing yourself at a property is, is, you know, one of the age old pastimes in California. Yeah. But not only that, um, a lot of states in Cal, not in California, in the United States have opened up channels to allow shipping of wine from California to be easier. So, you know, you find a winery that you really like. Um, you don't have to really search for it in your local market. You can yeah. just order it direct from the website and, you know, it's easy. And a lot of people through COVID especially got really comfortable with the online platforms. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Wow. But, but it still is, uh, Richie also have been, uh, um, very, uh, even all the wines you are, are making in the States, they are something who is very special also for us to taste. And when I'm visiting Rich, sure. I, I taste all of them. Yeah. And some of them were quite odd to our taste, uh, <laughs> uh, because the American, they ha have some issues with uh, alcohol, they have some issues with, uh, with, uh, with uh, yeah. or love for it. You can love say. for it. Yeah, love for it. But, but not everything is perfect. But what you have chosen to export yeah. is fantastic. And, uh, and also, uh, but the, the way in, in Norway is that Rich have been kind of a Marks yeah. who is uh, who is uh, exclusive, uh, but all, you also, as we have here, not so expensive wines. We have a wine who is costing four hundred and eighty nine kroner, sure. and also more expensive. Yeah. So still, uh, rich is a very good buy in Norway because it's very, very powerful in taste mm -hmm. usually. Mm -hmm. 
But before we got in here, we we talked about uh, uh, Norway as a market for ridge. Sure. And you say that it's it's you know obviously we're a small country, but relatively actually Norway. Norway likes Ridge a lot, or you sell a lot yeah. in Norway? We do. So um, in Norway, uh, you guys are big fans of Ridge, yeah. which we appreciate. <laughs> I appreciate. Um, so, you know, our current importer has done a wonderful job of, of effectively communicating Ridge and, and exciting the market here. And so uh, Norway is one of our top 10 markets internationally, and we export to 50-plus countries. And so when you look at a, a market of that size, Norway is a very important piece of, of Ridge's overall uh, success. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Now, and yeah. and when it comes, you know, you talk about price specifically, and mm. I'm so glad that you brought that up because unfortunately, I think a reality that you are seeing in California wines is becoming more expensive. Um, you know, labor is expensive. We've gone through a historic drought for the second time with the 20 and 21 vintages, and that's following the drought that hit us 12 through 15. Um, you take into consideration now increasing costs of, of supply chain logistics and all of that. And you're going to see that unfortunately reflected in the cost of a bottle. But one of the things I admire so much about this brand and the people who lead it is the real caution in raising prices. And then when we do that, we do so very, um, very slightly and really only as it is necessary. Because for us, wine is part of our daily life and we want to make sure that it is the same for our, you know, enthusiasts, um, you know, all over the place. And and when I see us raise prices, typically it's just a couple of dollars a bottle, which is nice to see. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, well, yeah. we have uh, four wines. Yep. Um, we have Luden Springs uh, 2014. Yep. Uh, this is the one that is available in Norway now, right? So, yes. And um, it's actually part of a library re-release. Yeah. And so there is a small allocation coming back into the market this year. It hopefully, fingers crossed, uh, should land in about November. Fantastic, yeah. and then and then we have the same wine, but in uh, mm. 2011, and it's it looks like it's a Magnum. Yep. It's a Magnum. Uh, so so we we can taste them up against each other. Sure. Um, and then we have the uh, Liden Springs Petit Syrah mm-hmm. uh, 2018, uh, which you also sell. Um, yes. And, and then you have the Ridge Estate Cabernet Sauvignon 2019, yes. which uh, I understand is coming this autumn. It is. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So. Um, I'm excited to taste these wines, yeah. uh, and um, I think we should let's start from our left hand side with the Lytton Springs 2014. Okay, the, uh, and why don't you, um, well, introduce us and the listeners to you know exactly the maybe the style and of Lytton Springs? Like, what are we tasting? Sure, sure. So, um, Lytton Springs, uh, as I mentioned very early on, is um, our second kind of visit location. So we do have a production facility there. And Lytton Springs is the third state of Ridge. So it's the baby of the trio. Um, we began working with this vineyard in 1972, and it became an official Ridge estate in 1991. So alongside the Geyser Villain Montebello, this is probably one of the most well-recognized and popular wines that we make. Um, it is a Zinfandel-based wine. Again, Ridge really celebrates the Zinfandel varietal. Um, but what you see most often with us is they are blends, right? Zinfandel can be so harmonious with other varietals. And that's what you see here with the Litten. So this is always going to be mostly Zinfandel, backed by a healthy amount of Petit Syrah, then Carignan. And then from certain vintages, there could be just one, maybe 2% of Mataro as well. Um, so what you see here is a Zinfandel-based wine from Dry Creek Valley, uh, arguably one of the premier regions in the world for growing Zinfandel successfully. And alongside every wine that we make, the focus here is balance, mm-hmm. right? Elegance and and pairing ultimately with food. Not to say these wines aren't terribly enjoyable on their own. 
I've done plenty of research about that myself. Hmm. Um, but they are really to be enjoyed with company and and with courses. And so that's what I think you see here. And like, what's the traditional uh, Californian food pairing for hmm. this wine then? So what you will hear very often mm -hmm. is Zinfandel and barbecue. Yeah. 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 That's true. Which is, I mean, spectacular. Mm. So, I mean, that's... And big barbecues, not small ones. No, big, no, no. Big. No, I don't think we do anything small. Um, <laughs> no. So, uh, yeah, no, uh, Zinfandel and barbecue. But hmm. what's great with, with Litton and Geisseville, again, given the, the blended nature of both of these wines and the other varietals that they, that they complement, um, you get such a wide range. I've had Litton Springs paired at dinners with venison. Yeah. I've had it paired in the past with, with heartier vegetarian dishes based with like portobello mushroom. Mm. They've been very, very successful. So it's great to see the versatility of these wines. Um, and, and one of the reasons that we are re-releasing the 14, current vintage is 2020, just for mm -hmm. um, yeah. comparison's sake. We're re-releasing these wines because we really want to showcase what Zinfandel can do with a bit of age on it. Yeah. You know, um, especially Zinfandel uh, complemented with Petit Saron Carignan, right? So yeah. for a, a, a bit of historical context for your listeners, you know, Zinfandel is a varietal that can lend itself quite naturally to high levels of sugar, therefore being a very um, high-level alcohol grape, yeah. if you're not careful, which is why I know you'll see some Zinfandels coming out of California hitting that 16, 16.5 mark, right? Um, what Zinfandel can sometimes lack naturally is some good acid yeah. and, and a structured uh, tannic presence. So what you have, and of course you need the acid and the tannic uh, presence for that development over over years, right? So what you have here, the Petit Syrah being obviously a very tannic varietal, and mm. Carignan having a nice tannic presence as well, but some important acidity. Those two varietals kind of act as support beams for the Zinfandel and allow it to develop over years. Um, if you wanted to lay down the Litton for 20 or 25 years, same with Geyserville, you'd have no problem doing so. Yeah. And I'm, yeah. I'm surprised, like, I understand that there's, there's not much Petit Syrah or Carignan in this. It, there's, you know, 10% Petit Syrah. Exactly. And, yeah. and, um, it, I think it's still quite tannic. Um, sure. And, and like, even after being aged for, you know, eight years or something like that. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's a lot. But and I think, I think, um, I think, when people usually, because I mean, in Norway we don't have the biggest selection of Zinfandel, okay. right? Like, because it's not well, it's it's not usually that made in Europe, and we drink a lot of, of European wine, sure, right? Sure. So we don't have that much uh, Zinfandel, and I think it would be really interesting for for listeners who haven't necessarily tasted Zinfandel in a style that is mixed with, for example, Petit Syrah, yeah. to see how that works, because it is a very different wine. It is. So I think, like, uh, on the aroma side, you obviously have some of the, the classic Zinfandel style, in the, uh, and uh, but it, it, it makes a huge difference with the Petit Absolutely Syrah. Absolutely does. Yeah. And I think, I think uh, as when you say it's good, like, Zinfandel is good for barbecue. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I love wines. I love all wines with all food. Sure. Um, but, but I do really appreciate also the wines that have that tannic structure in, in, so I mean, like the classic Symphonelle barbecue. Yeah. I, I think that's, you know, that, that's good. Sure. But it's great, but it, if it has more structure. Absolutely. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, but a Symphonelle grape is, um, I've tasted a lot, but I think when you have older Symphonelle wines, mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, then it's better. 
How old is the wines uh, from uh, from the rich Lytton? Uh, yeah, you know? the vines themselves. Yeah, yeah. So, so Lytton Springs is home to some of the oldest vines that we work with as a company. Mm. Um, the oldest in the 110 to 120 range. Yeah. Um, I would say the average age of the vines is probably sitting around 60 years old. Yeah. And the youngest vines we replanted ourselves yeah. back in 2007, 2008. Mm. So you get a really a wide range so of vine age. So if a consumer or, or listener here is buying a Sinfandel Young, yeah. It's a completely different world. It's a very different yeah. experience. Mm. In fact, um, if, if they'd like to stay in the Ridge family, um, the 2018 East Bench uh, is currently still out in the market or 2019, um, which we've seen at the Monopoly stores currently. That is 100% Zinfandel. Yeah. So you get a pure expression of the Zinfandel variety coming from California, also Dry Creek Valley. Yeah. Um, and when you talk vine age, it's a, a very young vineyard. So we mm. planted the East Bench vineyard in 2000 and made our very first vintage in 2006. So you're yeah. talking 22-year-old vines. Yeah. Now – Talking about the age of these wines, yeah. I am on my deep into the second glass here. Are right you now. really the eleven already? Okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and um, I'm. I was just listening while you were talking about it, and um, I think the the difference between these two wines are 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 surprisingly big, actually. Yeah. Because uh, the the fourteen is, you know, I think on the. Um, on the nose, it's it's it has it's not only the the classic uh, Zinfandel aromas on, yeah, yeah, but it's also. It's it's quite fruity and it feels yeah. quite young, right? Mm-hmm. Um, even though it's eight years old, but the eleven is is very different, and it's it's a, a f- it's much harder to to grasp on the nose that this could be a Simpanel. Yeah. Um. So and and tasting it also, it feels a lot lighter. Sure. I'm not sure if, if I mean you guys should tell me like how much this has to the the specific vintages. Yeah. Or how much this mm-hmm. is just um just the aging because. It this is really interesting to me to see the, to, to see the huge difference, and I think the the eleven is. I would never guess uh, Sinfandel. Yeah, I, I I would bet that you could put this in front of some of the top wine minds in the world, and they wouldn't guess Sinfandel. No. Yeah. Um, it, it's just it doesn't drink that way. It's no. so it's so tricky in that regard. So um, to yeah. your point, I, I think two things. One. The main difference these are tasting so different is is the drastic difference which is between the 11 and the 14 vintage. Yep. They were two wildly different vintages, and we can get into that exactly. here in just one second. Yeah. But I will say, even if the vintages were quite similar, right, even if we're looking at, let's say, 18 versus 19, mm-hmm. you're still going to have a, a a significant or noticeable difference in the glass because you're dealing with two different bottle sizes. You know, the uh, 750s will age faster than magnums. So that's kind of a, a fun reason to have a magnum. Um, when you look at the alternative formats, uh, a 375 split to a 750 to a magnum, they age faster the smaller they are. So, you know, um, I love buying the same wine in alternative formats so I can see how the ageability process is being expressed across half bottle, full, and mag. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we, we did uh, quite recently an episode about it. And, oh, very and, cool. Yeah, and we talked about, uh, the like, when does that kick in? Sure. Right? And it's mm. definitely after a few years, right? Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. Uh, so, uh, so, so the differences between this 11 and 14, I would assume then, like, well, like you said, has a lot to do with the 1411 vintage. The vintages, because those effects of the alternative sizes really should just be kicking in right about now, yeah. right? So we're, we're at their infancy as far as, as noticing that is concerned. So really here, it's driven by the vintages. Yeah. So um, 11 
is one of the coolest vintages that we've ever seen in California, um, which, as I understand, makes it wildly popular here in Norway. Yeah. Mm. Right? And, yeah, and, and, and it is a, quite a Norwegian, more, more of a Norwegian style, right? Of course. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Because mm, yeah. um, you're dealing with, really across the state, um, some greener notes, a bit more like pyrazine present in the wine, um, mm. and, and you're getting a lot more acid as well. Again, a cooler vintage. And, and Ridge, you know, it obviously is no exception to that. So when you're talking about Litton Springs, we had an uncharacteristically cool winter and a very long winter. So everything was kind of pushed back. Additionally, we had above average rainfall. So in the Dry Creek Valley area, we average about 25 inches of rain per year. We saw around 40 inches in the 2011 vintage. So mm. it was really nice to kind of uh, refill our well reserves that we have on property. You know, uh, we are big on... Uh, again, being stewards of the environment and recycling water, gray water is very important to us, which again, we can discuss later, but that was an added bonus of the 11 vintage. And so you could see really the effects of that cooler climate year, um, even all through the summer when we didn't get any noticeable heat spikes. When you look at even the tech sheet of the 11 or of the Litton Springs, normally we are harvesting this wine uh, between mid-August to mid-September. In the 2011 vintage, we were mid-September to mid-October. I mean, that's a pretty drastic difference when yeah. you're talking about one vineyard. But still, you, uh, Rich is delivering throughout the years much different be between the vintage of the high qualities. So yes. you don't have a Montebello who's the same thing every year. It's around the weather all the time. So it's it's open. So you yes. can have cooler uh, vintages and you can have warmer and you can feel it. Yeah. And like, like this, um, um, I called an old friend when I talked took the magnum out, but uh, I know uh, I knew that they have it, so uh, sure. uh, and I, I, I love it. <laughs> yeah. and, but that's a really interesting mm. point that you make, and, and I'm really glad that you said that as well, because I think that really speaks to the heart of, of the Ridge style, mm. um, is a consistency of style, but always a reflection of what the vintage has given us. Yes. You know, So if you taste Litton Springs, the 11 and the 14, these are both undoubtedly Litton Springs, but they're not going to mm. taste similar necessarily because 11 and 14 were yeah. not similar. Yeah. Um, so what we want is consistent complexity, not consistent homogeny. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And so with that, you know, at the heart of all of that is an assemblage process. And that is the same with the Litton Springs, with the Geyser, with the Montebello. Um, but, you know, we have these blocks planted at Lytton Springs mm. and Geyserville. They are tasted every year and assembled by our winemaking principles. Mm. And, and really that allows us to reflect what the vintage has been and give us a little bit of that um, fluctuation, if you will. Yeah. yeah. And I think you'll tell you that you will love rich when you have many in the cellar because it's like – 15 different children who is all uh, in a different matter yeah. all the way. <laughs> They're all related uh, to you, but they all have different yeah. personalities. But yeah. in, the, in the same way, if you visit Rich, uh, you will also see that everything is under control. So sure. it's not making a uniform. And you can see that in, in the States today, that yeah. the money is getting bigger mm -hmm. and the uniform is getting tighter. Sure. So it's just the same. And that's what I love about Rich. It's uh, still, it's... Um, and um, even if uh, we have only four wines in the studio today, yeah. uh, you will see that the, the, this autumn will be a fantastic um, um, for rich lovers in Norway, yeah. if they get it. Yes, yeah. exactly, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, and so, yeah, but we, we should need to move on to the rest yes. because yeah. uh, we have now, you know, in the in the first uh, wine with the Zinfandel, yeah. um, we had some Petisera, and this is how much Petisera? Because now we're moving on to the 2018 uh 
uh, Lytton Springs, or is it Lytton Estate? It's Lytton Estate. Lytton Estate, yeah. my yes, mistake, so sorry. Estate. Yeah. Oh, that's okay. Lytton Estate mm. is is home. It's the larger estate that's home to Lytton Springs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, I, I will, if, you, if you're if you all right, though, um, if I could just talk about the 2014 vintage. Sure. Because mm. I got a little bit carried away, no, yeah. my apologies. So while you have 2011, a very cool vintage with above average rainfall, 14 was a bit different. So 14 was um, in the middle of the first really designated drought that we've seen in the last uh 15 years or so, 12 through 15 vintages was that. And so with 14, you saw a much warmer year and uh, far less rainfall, approximately 20 inches. So we're below average at that point. And I think that's why in the 14, aside from its youth, you're seeing some more punchy primary fruit aroma in this wine, whereas this is a bit more grounded, a bit more secondary, even a little tertiary at this point. Kind of fun. Great. Yeah. Great. Okay. Um, so now it's uh, in the Petit, petit Syrah. How much Petit Syrah so is in this So this is one? 97% Petit Syrah and 3% Zinfandel. So, mm. you know, Petit Syrah is a really fun varietal that we work with at Ridge. Mm-hmm. We've worked with it really since, I mean, throughout our history as a company in different respects. And so um, historically, we worked with it um, at the York Creek Vineyard in Spring Mountain. And and that was regarded either as York Creek or Dynamite Hill. Dynamite Hill is within that York Creek estate. And and we worked with that uh, that site all the way through the 80s, um, 70s and 80s. And then unfortunately, um, it was replanted to Cabernet Sauvignon. So we revived the Petit Syrah at the Lytton Estate because we have vines there, Petit, that were planted as early as 1901, 1903. And again, as more recently as the late 90s. So you get, again, a, a wide array of vine age with the Petit. And I would say this is probably one of the more under-recognized wines that we make. But it's mm. really exciting because, you know, a lot of folks are familiar with Cabernet Sauvignon and the tannic structure that that can provide. But Petit Syrah is very, very tannic as well, equally as tannic in a lot of ways, but, you know, a, a bit different and can be just as elegant. And I think the more exciting thing is you can get... A, a petite Syrah at a more approachable price point rather than the quality that you're looking for for a cab where you have to spend X amount of money. After I mean, my, it, it's quite plummy, like on the yeah, nose, especially. Yeah. And um, perhaps uh, it is of, uh, on the palate, it is quite tannic, and, mm-hmm. but it's, a, it's surprisingly light and it's surprisingly mm-hmm. non-jammy mm-hmm. compared to the more jammy nose. Mm-hmm. Strange, like, I don't drink yeah. much Petit Syrah. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> so yeah. it's, it's yeah. interesting. For me. I'm just but, talking but, now. But, but it's uh, just, uh, <laughs> it's the thing with uh, Rich always when you have younger vintages, decant it, have it breed, have it yes. in good glasses. Uh, this is wine, so usually it's very good to have 10 years time in, in, the, in the cellar. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also, uh, we, I know what you like. And this is also a typical food wine to barbecue or beef. Absolutely. But also what Rich could do with grapes, who is not known uh, to common. And you are open about it. Usually they hide it, uh, the the names of the grape. Um, And this is, um, for me, this is a little bit young, Mm -hmm. uh, but it's it's good. But I don't know what point I will give it. But... um, uh, I will have it in a glass for uh, at least a half an hour, and then we'll see. But it's uh, good. Yeah. In fact, I mm. actually I, – I really encourage people um, to get a, a practical and sturdy decanter at home. Mm. It doesn't have to be pretty. just oh. has to aerate the wine. Mm-hmm. I actually decant all of my wines under 10 years old. Yeah. I think they all benefit them in some way. And I'm not talking just Ridge as well. I'm talking other no. producers that I drink no. you know, in my own personal time. 
Um, but to your point about the transparency on our labels, I think, hmm. again, that's another very admirable thing and something that we champion at Ridge. So if you look at our labels, you get hit with just so much information. Um, and then that's our trans, uh, commitment to transparency. So on the front label, you'll get all of the pertinent information, right? You'll get varietal composition and inclusion, ABV, AVA. Uh, but on the back, you get a really great breakdown and insight into the Ridgeway as well. Hmm. You'll get a vintage synopsis, just a quick recap into what the vintage was for us. And at the bottom, you'll see a full ingredients list. So anything that we used in the production of this wine, whether it be the grapes themselves, the oak from the barrel regiment, um, you know, minimum effective SO2, all of that is listed back here. Yeah. The way that we look at it is there should be nothing to hide. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it, it's, it's strange because uh, uh, you're very transparent about it. It's mm -hmm. on the label. Yeah. Um, but wine has been, and in, in, I, I think it's the same in, in Norway and in all around the world. I think mm -hmm. Norway and, and the U.S. are one of the ones who are trying to now encourage everyone that, like, legally you have to say everything that's in the food. Sure. And drinks. And wine has been the exception. And I have no idea why. But, like, you can yeah. buy a bottle in Norway, which is a wine monopoly, which sure. has super strict rules, right? Sure, yeah. Um, but you have no idea what you're buying. And I think there's very few also, very few uh, blind tests, like, uh, uh, what do you call it? Like, scientific tests of what's mm. actually in this. Sure, sure. Like, we don't know if it has the amount of alcohol it's on the label. We don't have know how much the actually the SO2 is yeah. or all this other stuff. So it's interesting to see, you know, what's actually in the bottle because no one, no one reveals it. I haven't looked at it, but I think it's very interesting. Isn't it? Yeah. And it's something that we, you know, we began in 2011 yeah. um, and with the hope that more wineries would follow suit. And it, it's, it has been a little disappointing to see the lack of participation. Yeah. Um, because again, wine is in, in so many ways a natural product. Mm. So why should there be this mystery, this, this cloudiness around what's in the bottle? Yeah. 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 So we're talking about the Petit Serrat yeah. and, and we're uh, comparing it to the Cabernet Sauvignon sure. a, a little bit in style. Um, but the, we are also looking at, again, two different vintages. Mm -hmm. So the 2018, mm -hmm. how was the 2018? It was wonderful. Yeah. 2018 and 2019 were two stellar vintages out of California, mm. um, especially kind of. I don't want to say rebounding. Um, 17 was uh, more akin to the 2011 vintage as far as precipitation is concerned. 2017 was torrential. Mm. Uh, you know, almost to be careful what you wish for kind of thing. Yeah. We came out of the drought vintages. 16, we got a little bit closer to our average rainfall. 17, it was double the amount of rainfall almost hmm. across this, the state. And while we were beyond excited to receive that amount of water, um, it almost took a lot of even the land by surprise. We were having erosion trouble at, at Montebello. Um, the uh, very... Because it's also so steep, right? It is very mm. steep. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Mm. I mean, it, it is a mountain vineyard in every sense of the word. The topography yeah. can be problem very difficult. The problem is there was a huge uh, problems you have in Montebello. Yeah. You heard it on Twitter. So. Oh, did you? Yeah. yeah. So. You heard about the road washing. Yeah. Ooh, okay. yeah. I have alarm. <laughs> so it was a, not a small one. It was a big, it was. It was a big chunk. Yeah. It, so a big yeah. chunk of about, um, a 10 foot stretch of road completely yeah. washed Oof, out. Yeah. And, and we had to get in and the city had to come in and, mm. and rebuild it just because there was so much water and rainfall mm. that the mountain itself couldn't contain it. So we had just waterfalls coming down from mm. every side of the mountain. It was really... That's the problem with... This uh, is 17, right? You're talking about... That's 17. So, yeah. yeah so I, we got mm. carried away in, in talking about that. And so while it was great to have that, it, it, again, it was almost a l over course correction. 
So hmm. 18 brought that back to kind of more normal, more status quo, which we wanted to see. So we got a, a pretty much our average rainfall across the state. And we got a more slow and methodical growing season from, you know, bloom and fruit set all the way through verasion and into harvest, which is fantastic. So when we're talking about the Zinfandels, we're talking, you know, beginning in second week of August, completing that in Sonoma, northern Sonoma by Healdsburg and Geyserville. Um Mid -oct uh, mid September, and then for our Pagani Ranch, uh, which is a Zinfandel that we work with out of Sonoma Valley, the beginning of October. Right, we were really excited to see that. Um, and then at the Montebello Mountain, what we see is we begin with Chardonnay, usually the first week of September, and then the Bordeaux varietals will be a bit slow and steady through the month of September and October, typically ending right around Halloween, maybe the first week of November. It's a really long, uh, harvesting long. harvesting is. season. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so so let's talk about the differences in these. Two wines, right? Yeah. Because uh, you're saying 18, 19, both stellar vintages. Great vintages. So, so somewhat easier to compare. It's now it's both more about the style, the vineyards, and the grapes. Then, absolutely, yeah. yeah. So, um, you know, then really here you're talking about vineyard site. So the Petit mm. Syrah, the Litton Estate is up in um, again Sonoma, Dry Creek Valley. So uh, about Healdsburg. Um, the Montebello or the Estate Cab is going to be about a two and a half hour drive south. So you're mm. talking a, a pretty significant difference away, yeah. right? Now, what these two vineyard sites have in common is their proximity to the San Francisco Bay. So the San Francisco Bay is kind of considered the air conditioning unit for the state of California. The effects of the bay are so powerful, they can be felt all the way into the Sierra Nevada mountains. So quite a distance away. Mm. And, and our proximity, um, the San Francisco Bay almost splits these two vineyards in half as far as distance is concerned. And so with the Estate Cab, one of the, you know, kind of ingredients to the style of this wine is the proximity to the bay and then also the Pacific Ocean. So to the Pacific, we're about 15 miles straight as the crow flies. But the Santa Cruz Mountains are two mountain ranges separated by the San Andreas Fault. So the western range actually kind of blocks us immediately from the Pacific, which mm -hmm. is why we can more successfully grow the Bordeaux varietals, mm, right? We need yeah. a little bit more warmth for the Cabernet yeah. Sauvignon, Merlot, Cab Franc, Petit Verdot. Um, And so the Estate Cab, I actually consider this to be one of, if not the best values on the wine market. Yeah. Mm. And really that comes from the winemaking process um, at its heart. So we talked a little bit about Montebello. Unfortunately, yeah. we're not tasting it today. No, we, we have, I have. I have a very small bottle to you. Oh, we outside. do. Yeah, okay, fantastic. So we, <laughs> we can... have it. I, I have it, uh, <laughs> it is... for you. On what do you mean yeah. a very small, like a very airplane small. bottle? <laughs> oh, it's smaller That's, than an airplane yeah, bottle. This is a surprise afterwards. Okay. Uh, but we, um, uh, I don't know if you have tasted it before, uh, but uh, if you taste I, I'm not uh, sure, no. uh, Montebello, it's a kind of a god uh, sometimes if you have tasted exactly. but uh, it's yeah. always better when it's 20 25 and also i'm not going to have just only one for your young we're going to serve in three four vintages sometimes when we are traveling to california sure. exactly <laughs> yeah. exactly so this is this is montebello is something which just stands out so for one of the best ones in the world yeah but there's also so much different with the vintages just Wow. And I got this small bottle for you, just as a present. Yes. But I just have a question for you, oh, just sure. on the sign, because you're talking about the fog. Yes. Are, are you following the fog on Twitter? Like the fog has its own Twitter account? Yes. No? <laughs> yeah, it have. 
and we will find it and we'll give it okay. to you. Uh, I follow it. Uh, I'm going to find a follow. Are you the admin of the No, 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 no. No, but but did I have a own um, account and when you see this fantastic pictures, they take yeah. pictures from the bridge and so on oh. and every day they are sending out how it is. That's fantastic. It's fantastic. So Which we're going Which is is good because the fog really is its own character yeah, yeah. in so, the bay area. When you know sometimes it's weird working with this fine because you know he can he I can meet him in the morning and he's yeah. like, "Yeah, did you see the fog this morning?" And I was <laughs> yes. like, "What fog?" And yeah, well, in California. Yeah. And I was like, okay, sure. Yeah. You didn't no. know you're working with such an international man of weather. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, and so it's interesting. So I, I bring up Montebello because, of course, that's the flagship, right? That is the the wine that started us as a company, and it, it is, you know, regarded as one of the top wines in the world, which we're consistently really proud of and humbled by. Um, but I, I love speaking about the estate cab in particular because there becomes this misconception in the market that the estate cab is kind of the class B label to Montebello, right? That we put all of our top fruit into Montebello, which is why it has the price point that it does and the yeah. notoriety. And then all of the leftovers go into the estate cab. And that could not be farther from the truth. So what's really interesting about those two wines is they are they are made side by side every year for two distinct purposes, right? And so that all comes back to the uniqueness of the vineyard site. So it is, again, a mountain vineyard, as we spoke of earlier. Um, we cover about 2,000 feet of elevation between the very bottom and the very top of the vineyard site. And we have over the, those uh, those feet, we have about 40 blocks that are dedicated to either Cabernet Sauvignon, Merlot, Cab Franc, or Petit Verdot. But again, because of the steepness of the vineyard site and, and the mountain topography, each block has a different sun exposure. And then we deal with the added kind of vintage by vintage uh, specifications, like the inversion layer, yeah. right? Where it comes in, how long it sits in the day, where it mm. sits on the mountain. So because of that, none of those 40 blocks are identified for Montebello or Estate Cab. Instead, what we do is we harvest them all every year, and we actually vinify them the same right off the bat. Holberry um, fermentation, uh, we automatic sort about 15%, hand sort the rest. They're pressed after about nine days. And then in February the following year, we begin a five-month blind assemblage process where our winemaking principals, Paul Draper, John Olney, uh, our current head winemaker, um, his team, David Gates, our senior VP of Vineyard Management, they make three or four passes where they very purposefully put together two different types of California, uh, or excuse me, Cabernet uh, expression. The estate cab is naturally made to be more approachable in its youth, a little slightly less tannic, more drinkable and 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 uh, designed for 10 to 15 years. We mm -hmm. really want people to drink it within 10 years of aging. This is yeah. meant to open up this evening and enjoy with friends. Yeah, yeah. Whereas the Montebello, to your point, is designed for decades of longevity. Hmm. Um, but again, because of the uniqueness of the site and how different a vintage can be, it is not uncommon for a block to go into Montebello one year and estate cab the next. So you're getting our flagship fruit for about a third of the price with this bottle, mm. which is really cool. Yeah, and w w what was the reason why it would sometimes go in? Is it because they don't make the Montebello in each vintage or because they don't use all of the fruit in each vintage? No, so we make the Montebello every year. Every year. Every year. Yeah. Yep. Mm -hmm. And the estate cab every year. But, for example, the inversion layer that we were talking about, right? Yeah. Now, historically, that sits kind of right on top of our uh, our bottom Chardonnay parcels, on top of what we call the Jim Samir Ranch or also the Klein Vineyard that we spoke about earlier. Um, now, that inversion layer comes in really thick and heavy and, as you can imagine, um, kind of cools down those those vineyard parcels, right? So mm -hmm. you get this really searing acidity, but maybe not quite the sugar development that you would see at the Cabernet at the top at our Peroni that's under pure California sunshine. So 
if we're trying to create, again, maintain this consistency of style and we're not expecting that underdevelopment, we don't want to just blindly put it into Montebello because it's going to drastically throw off the characteristic and composition of that wine. Does that make sense? Yeah. 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 <laughs> I'm not a winemaker, but it makes no, sense yeah, as far yeah, as, yeah. You know. <laughs> we're, we're, Again, what we're looking for is yeah. that, that consistency of style, yeah. but not homogeny. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Now, um, I've tasted this now, these two last wines up against each other, and mm-hmm. obviously they're very different. Like, um, but, uh, it was very, very fun to, to taste, um, Cab, Cab Estate at the, at the, cause I, th- that's the only wine in, in, in my notes that I didn't have the price for. So I was like, okay, oh, okay. I, I, I don't know. And I, I don't think I've tasted it before. Mm-hmm. So I was like, oh, how, how's this wine going to be? And I think mm-hmm. this wine is, this is, um, you know, this is definitely the wine that I'm going to, to weigh it out for and and try to to grab a bottle when it gets up because I think it's it's fantastic and you say it's it's supposed to be uh, approachable early. Um, yes. Now I think it's fine to drink now. Absolutely. But but um, if I buy a couple of bottles, I'm definitely going to hold out uh, a couple of more years just sure. to just to open it a bit more because I think the potential is great and I think we've had great wines here today and it's obviously fun to also taste uh, the 11 but to me the 19 really stands out I don't even I, I don't know what the price is but uh, the price is not known but I think it will be around uh, 11 to 1300 krona something around yeah maybe. Okay. okay so a lot cheaper than Montebello but yeah, uh, yes. and you know not really cheap still but I'm, no. I think uh, I think I'm going to try to buy a couple of bottles <laughs> yeah, anyway yeah. Um, we, have, we have one buyer. Yeah. Oh, exactly. <laughs> okay, so yeah. worth coming to Norway, yeah. Yes, definitely. <laughs> yeah. Um, we've almost spent an hour. Um, oh, okay, great. Uh, yeah. So we've spent uh, a lot of your time. Um, and uh, for those listening, I think, you know, we've been talking a lot. It's been it's been really educational. Uh, for me, it's been really fun to taste uh, a range the, for the first time. you the Call the Fog. I'm gonna, yeah, Twitter, I'm gonna yeah. have to follow Call the phone. Three hundred fifty uh, thousand yeah. visitors. Oh my yeah, so goodness! It's, uh, yeah. All right. And cool. for for our listeners, uh, as always, we put uh, the links to the wines that are available. We'll put them to put them in the in the show notes uh, in the podcast. Um, and, uh, this time we're also going to put the link to the, the, the fog, yeah, <laughs> to the fog Twitter yeah, account yeah, yeah. so everyone can follow it. That yes. would be strange to have yeah. like hundreds or thousands of, uh, <laughs> of people in Norway starting to follow the fog in San Francisco. Um, I but the fog sends you a sweatshirt or yeah, something. Yeah, exactly. No, no, but we are 17 from Norway who follow the yeah. fog. Yeah. But, uh, uh, Katie, thanks a lot for coming. Yeah. Uh, we really appreciate it. Uh, thanks for tasting wines with us. Um, and, uh, have a happy 60th anniversary for the rest of the year. Thank you, guys. This has Cheers. been so much fun. I appreciate the two of you. Cheers. 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 Yeah. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Ukens vindtips med Svein er en Finansavisen podcast. Programleder er Svein Lindin, producent er Lars Brenden Skram, og podcast- og videoansvarlig er Marius Mørk Larsen. Ansvarlig redaktør er Trygve Hegnar.